Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our series of expectations, which is where we take two players, one from the offense, one from the defense, talk to a local guest analyst and have them uh, give us their thoughts on the player. And then we each uh, talk about what would be a good and a great season uh, for these players. Tonight, great guest for you, Pete Gilbert from WBAL. Pete, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Ken. Always, always a pleasure. We appreciate you dropping by on draft night and your foot doing a little better. I tell you, I'm out of the boot. I'm walking around without a limp. Um, about another six to eight weeks away from the basketball court. So all right. is doing well. <laughs> that, that is good. That's really good to hear it. It did not go quite as smooth for, for uh, Maureen, but uh, but good to hear it. Uh, Fortunate. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk a little bit about two players today. Justice Hill will be the first we talk about. We're going to talk about Marlon Humphrey as well. Uh, but Justice Hill now entering his fifth year, uh, back and signed on a two-year deal with the Ravens. He didn't miss an entire year due to injury, but a uh, player who seems like he's been around forever, but he won't turn 26 until November. Right. And, you know, in a league where it's, it's, you have so many guys coming into the league who are old because they had all these extra years for COVID and transfers, this and that, you know, there are still some young ones. You have Patrick Queen, awfully young, adding, you know, after, you know, in his fourth season with the Ravens, he's 25, 24, 24. Mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and Justice is a young guy again, too. And, you know, Hill was, again, the fastest uh, 40 time in the combine for a running back when, in, when he came out back in, in 19. And the still waiting for him with, to see what he might be. He never really got a whole lot of a chance to shine, but he's every time you, he averages five yards a carry basically for his career. And we don't know how well he catches the ball. He caught it well in college has not had much of an opportunity to do so, but no running backs have uh, one as far as, you know, in, in what we saw in the Greg Roman offense, I'm curious to see if that changes Ken. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a really good point. He's caught all 17 balls thrown to in the last two years, but only for 4.6 yards per reception and target They're the same number because he caught every ball. Um, but it's, it's really a strange thing. You mentioned that there's not a lot of opportunity there. I completely agree because Lamar is his own check down. So it's not like the Flacco to Rice, you know, continuity of getting 50 catches a year on, on check downs. It's probably slightly exaggerated, but a lot of catches per year for Ray um, on check downs. Uh, Lamar wants that area cleared out. He wants to play with that space himself and 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 take off from the pocket. And uh, uh, there's just not the same need for a running back who's like that. And I, I agree with you. I think Todd Monken may change that. And I think Lamar's made clear that he wants a different approach to it. Uh, and, you know, he wants to stay back there and, and throw the ball. He's, he's, he definitely does not. I mean, he's going to run. He's going to scramble. But he does certainly when it comes to the run game. He did, clearly does not want to be a huge part of it. So where, where does kind of role does that leave for Justice Hill? You know, 
he's been tantalizing at times. You go back to his rookie year in week 17 when mm-hmm. they've locked everything up and he gets the start against Pittsburgh and ran like a madman. A fantastic game in the rain and a downpour and ran so hard and tough. Just you're like, all right, there you go. Then, you know, we, you, you have the 20, 20 injury or 2021 injury. Um, I, I just – it feels like he's never – every kind of one step forward, two steps back. He had some other little dings here and there. And when you're the change – their third guy with Gus and J.K., you know, he's, you're not going to get a ton of opportunities, but we're just still kind of waiting to see what he might be. And I don't – I mean, he's not dazzled, but he's been good with the opportunities so far. Um, if presented with more, I think he could do more. Yeah, I very much think so too. And you know, the, the last couple of years now, the Ravens went with this veteran running back by committee group when they had the injuries, you know, picking up all of these older guys and none of them worked out. Le'Veon Bell and and Freeman and uh, uh, Latavius, Latavius Murray. Yeah, all, all of them. Um, and, and none of them worked out. And what they really needed was a good edge speed threat. And I thought that Hill was going to be that guy because he's, you know, good yards per carry rush. They can afford to have him on the field on third down, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. But um, if the offense is going to be designed at a sidecar, you know, one uh, running back to, to one side of Lamar, that running back's primary job is to stretch the field in the direction opposite where he lines up. So he's going to cross in front of Lamar, potentially mm-hmm. get a mesh point handoff and create opportunities, frankly, for Lamar by making the defense run themselves out of position. And Hill is the kind of guy who could do that. Just they haven't used him in the mesh a lot, which is which means I think that they probably do not completely trust him there. And I, I don't know if that's been fumbles in practice or what it's been, but I, I love your perspective on that. So we I mean Lamar, I mean, Justice has not shown an issue. I don't think an issue with I mean, he's had a every running back has the ball get on the ground occasionally, but he has good hands. I don't and I don't think in talking with the coaches the years hands have never been an issue with justice hill that trusting him in that you know i just think that they preferred to have that be done with jk with gus you know they those not necessarily for the speed but they felt those were bigger hitters i mean those are good backs i mean it's not like he's sitting behind guys you're like ah he he should be starting over them um you know so i I still i think comes down to again the opportunity they just say we don't we haven't needed you for that and uh, if and it lined up so poorly for him when the two guys in front of him get hurt, so did he. You know, I mean, that gosh, what a year that might that have been if he was a number one. You know, instead of having to go with this committee of veterans who were, you know, at the at the end of their career, if you'd had a fresh Justice Hill, I mean, what that it could have been an explosive kind of year. Unfortunately, we just we don't know. And they were that was such a snake bit campaign. Just, just to go back to what I said before, I, I'm. I, it's not always that the guy's going to fumble the ball in the mesh point. So I, I know that that was kind of the implication by saying they trust him. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a matter of having a long enough period where you can still give the ball up. And Mark Ingram was was the master of it. He, you know, yeah. he, he was perfect for pistol. They put the ball in the mesh, and his comment was, "Pull it out as late as you want. Just pull it out hard." And Gus Edwards even had some troubles with the mesh point in eighteen, and that that led to a, a you know a fair number of balls on the ground. Uh, you know, it, it, some of the veteran by committee stuff, my theory was that it was mesh point related, that they, that some of the speedbacks they had just weren't mastering it the same way. Some of the bigger armed power backs were, uh, could create that box for the football, still let Lamar pull it late. still have the confidence they could, they could you know, pull it in high and tight 
weren't looking for every little crease to, at that time and losing focus on what was happening with the mesh. So it's just, it's, it is a delicate thing. And obviously a lot of Lamar's value is tied up in that process working very smoothly, but uh, you know, it's uh, I, I don't know what wrong with Hill because you know, you went back to his 2018, 2019 finale against Pittsburgh when he ran with all sorts of power. I mean, we've almost seen more power from him than we have from speed at times. Running inside, he was, yeah, he's so low to the ground. His legs are very strong and he he was able to carry guys going forward and break tackles inside. Um, So again, that's where it feels so tantalizing because you know, he has the speed Mm -hmm. and then he clearly has the power to go with it as well. So I, I just, I think more than anything, it's just been a lack of opportunity is the reason that he has not had um, been a more relevant player. And, you know, some of that's due to injury. Some of that's just due to the guys ahead of him. And, you know, so now you've got JK coming back. We presume healthy mm-hmm. Gus, you presume will be much closer to what he Gus did never looked healthy last year, even when he got back on the field, yeah. but we, I think you can, you know, you get that full off season. Um, it would be hard to see a whole big reason you would see a huge year for Justice Hill. I think it would take someone else getting hurt or someone putting the ball on the ground. You know, I mean, that's one thing we have seen. You can get into the doghouse fairly quickly in John Harbaugh's uh, you know, locker room if you're if you don't take care of the ball. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It's also true. Minor injuries happen at the running back position. I mean, it's one that takes a lot of hits. Uh, people miss time, even if they don't. They're they're not for a long time. Uh, one of the really interesting players this year, I think, in, in camp is Keaton Mitchell and figuring out what he'll do because he's the fastest of all of them. And yes. seeing if he can, you know, learn quickly or adapt quickly to the mesh. And, and the mesh is Jackson wants to play because everybody's played some mesh in college. It's just is 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 it is he going to be able to get the is Jackson gonna be able to get the late pulls that he wants to get out of that Mitchell big time home run hitter? Uh, Mitchell is it's not just the speed it's the change of direction speed mm-hmm. with him that is watching him go through, just do some footwork drills and, you know, just the, the stuff they have you out in the OTAs. You're like, Oh, that, that's, that looks a little different. That that's pretty <laughs> special. Okay. Good to see. You know, then of course the other factors come into it. Can you, how are you in pass pro? You know, do you understand, you know, you really under grasp the, 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 you know, the language and the knowledge of the offense because, you know, if you can do those things, then you'll, then you'll have an opportunity. And will you take care of the ball? But he has certainly some physical uh, tools, no doubt above that. You know, so there's certainly guys that are a possibility. But, you know, we talk about the mesh so much. I just wonder how much with Todd Munkin, is that still going to – how relevant or how big a part of the run game is that going to be? Because, again, I don't think Lamar – Lamar's made pretty clear. He doesn't want to be part of the run game. He'll scramble. I mean, then there's going to be some. But not the way that it has been, as of you know. Whereas he would get maybe eight to ten designed runs a game when in a fully healthy kind of thing. That may be down to two to four, mm-hmm. and then you're maybe not using a mesh as much. So it's more straight handoffs, more tosses, that kind of thing, and that maybe then brings justice in if there is a trust issue at the mesh point. I'm not, and which you know, I'm not sure that there is or was i just think i i tend to think he just got stuck behind guys that were a little bit better than him a little bigger home run hitters and um just kind of waiting for his opportunity but it is interesting that they signed him to a two-year deal it's really it's yeah. really a one-year deal yeah. i mean you know it's a five hundred thousand dollar um dead month dead cap issue if you if you cut him next year so it's really but you did bring him back and you know when you could have just let him walk particularly when you know that running backs 
are is is low value or so easy to come by, right? I mean, when you feel like you could maybe draft an Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh round, you know, that's just you're, you're even spending the two million dollars on him, two or two and a half or whatever it is for this year is. I think it it speaks to him for a guy who's your number three running back. Yeah, I was I was really shocked that Mitchell was available as a UDFA, but it does really speak to what uh, how teams value the position. And I, yeah, I I hope this is one certainly that works out. I think Hill is here as much for his special teams as he is for what he does on offense. I think one thing we really haven't talked about too much is is what Hill provides in the passing game sure. as a pass protector. And he's been relatively good in, in for a team that doesn't hasn't had great pass blockers across the board at running back, and and for other reasons, you know, wouldn't necessarily want a player like Edwards on the field on third down. Hill has been pretty good at that. He is. Uh, he, he he's not afraid to step up and meet the, meet the moment uh, and take that contact and really stand strong to it. It goes back to the way again. It, it makes sense when you watch him run the way he did in in the rain against Pittsburgh, he's not going to shy away from that. And then it comes down to just understanding what your assignment is and where it's coming from and be, and be prepared for it, which he is. And then you add in, of course, the kick return ability. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, there's certainly, if you don't want Devin Duvernay back there for it, and it would be curious again, because they just keep seeming desperate to get rid of the whole kick return uh, as, a, as a play in the NFL, which yep. is, I understand it, it all – yeah, let's make it safer, but let's add more games. It's kind of this it all seems a little farcical in that regard. Let's have you you can now flex to Thursdays. Sure, that'll be fine. That's no, a but terrible, players, but that's player such safety. A terrible idea. Such a terrible idea. I couldn't and, agree more. And I, and I of the rule changes, we did a, a show on the rule changes when they first came out. And this was when the when they were proposed. And usually the competition has mostly ones that'll get accepted, and then a couple that are just crazy ideas by someone. Where there's obviously just an agreement. I'll tell you what, just let the owners vote on it. We don't want to argue with you anymore, you know, of the, of the people on the competition committee. So, so right. they have this ridiculous one about the fair catch on the kickoffs. And I thought, no way in hell is that going to be accepted. This, it just doesn't make any sense. And, and, you know, I guess there are still muffs on that. If you muff the ball, you probably, it, it you have to take it at the yard line, you pick it up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, but it's just to legislate the play out is, um, if you're going to do it, do it too, by the way, just quit painting around with it. Yeah. You know, if, if that's what you want, fine, do it. But um, the kick return, you know, and right. They, they did, and they did make it safer and there are ways to make it safer. And the, and the concussions, you know, were reduced um, by you know, changing the wedge and how, the, how they went about that. So, okay. It's still, it's still football. Yeah, you do. <laughs> right? you have to do some it's, of that. it's still football. So let's let them play football. Um, I think that I think that's OK. You, you ask any of the of the players who are out there and a lot of the guys on radio talk about this. And he just says, you know, all I can say is it was really cool to be able to run 30 yards down the field on a kickoff and hit someone. I thought about how lucky I was when I was doing it kind of thing. This is the kind of thing Ross Tucker or other guys who would, you know, would sure. say who are on the, on the air. And it's, it's uh, you know, they love doing it. We love seeing it. At some point you gotta, you gotta still have some contact in the game. And it's honestly, I think there's some, there may be an overstatement of, of just how dangerous that is, but they could come up with other gamesmanship angles that would make it a more more reasonable choice play. Like if you take a fair catch inside the 20, it's at the 20. 
if you if he goes in the end zone, it's at the 25, and then there'd still be the incentive to pooch, and there'd be opportunities for. I mean, you could just there, there's more ways to make it interesting. Uh, yes. Still. Yeah. And I, much to the credit of John Harbaugh, he and his crew tend to try and come up with as many of them as possible to yeah. keep that play in it. They just, as John says, they don't like to listen to me. Yeah. They, uh, boy, Tucker could put through the, put the ball through the end zone whenever he wants. We, as we know, right. but, uh, but yeah, he, he, he loves to pooch the ball down at about the four yard line if he can. And, uh, and it's funny that I, I sit, you know, I sit in the games next to Keith Mills and every time the ball's pooch, he starts yelling at him. He just wants it in the end zone every time. He's like, "You're gonna, you're just gonna give up a big play. What are they doing? What are they?" I'm like, well, now they have the ball to 15. Keith, all right, it worked this time. Right. <laughs> big plays usually work against the kicking. Sorry, against the receiving team because you get the, they get the holding calls and they get the fumbles. I know. So you know. Anyway, it is what it is. Um, we, well, we digress. <laughs> one one more thing I want to go back to about Hill was. Uh, he's one of these rare receivers. First of all, does not have a lot of yards per route run career. I'll get to that in a second, but his a dot is minus 1.9. So his average catch is a 1.9 yards behind the line of scrimmage, right. which means his yak is greater than his receiving yards. So he has, <laughs> he actually, uh, is one of those guys, but the, the kind of the troubling number though, is his yards per route run is only 0.52. Now, the way I look at it this is this way. Your, your passing offense, in order to be successful, needs to be seven to eight yards per pass play. All right? You could probably get by with just under seven, but that's not what you're looking for. If you're looking to be a good team, between seven and eight would be you know, a good team. If you think about it, you have five eligible receivers. They have to average between them about 1.4 to 1.5 yards per route run in order to get you to that point. All right. And obviously it's d- different receivers on different plays, but in aggregate, if you're going to get between seven and 7.5, they need 1.4 to 1.5 each. So a running back who, who contributes 0.52 is expected to probably contribute a little bit less than 1.5, but he also, he's got to contribute um, a little bit more than that in terms of either a catch rate, a number of times mm-hmm. he is the target or be a devastating pass blocker that, you know, he takes everyone out of the play on, on that play. And, and just Hill is not really any of those three things. Got a very low yards per target for his career, unfortunately. And and uh, uh, that's, that's an area where he needs to improve, his aggregate con- contribution. Some of it, too, is the occasional attempted screen that the Ravens have not mastered at any point in the 26, seven year history, it seems um, they've struggled with screens. And he is one that has caught a few of those screen passes that have gone for very little. The routes that, you know, and it's funny, you'll see Pat Ricard on a wheel route. Um, and it's not just a hill on a wheel route. You'll see, you know, JK on an angle route over the middle occasionally. I'm waiting for that. That's just that. Why, why isn't 43 getting that play? Right. Um, you know, that's where he, you know, just a little quick slant, you know, from at, out in with it from the backfield. And I feel like that's, you know, he's so quick that, that that's going to be there. And I just kind of wait for use his speed on, down the sideline or, or give me give me a little bit of that, that angle round. And I just I don't know. The, the, the running backs have just been so not part of the passing game, period. Uh, they were just not they were just totally or almost irrelevant in, in, in the Greg Roman offense. So maybe that's why I'm optimistic uh, for some of the things we might see now with Todd Munkin, who is a, uh, certainly willing to and wanting to throughout his career spread it out a little better in that regard. Yeah, I think it, with 
with Roman, definitely a vertical stretch offense, which means they're trying to look to stretch the defense sideline to sideline as much as possible and puncture a hole through those thin defensive lines uh, at the point of attack. And their offenses were built super heavy to, in order to do that, but they needed to have the deception and the threat to sure. go to the outside in either direction. And it's not like it's not like Roman had – it wasn't I – mean, I don't want to sit and bag on him. I mean, they In 2019, they had one of the greatest offensive seasons sure. in the history of the NFL. I mean, there were great concepts and great plays, and the the, the constant movement in their run game to – the way that they created matchups with – Boyle and Ricard crossing. I mean, to have those guys coming at you with the, at the pace and ferocity with which they did was, was spectacular. And all, all your pulling linemen, both direct, it was it was great. It created all kinds of problems and put stress on defenses. Um, but just if you're going to talk pass game, it was just it was just when you when you spend all your time working to be a great running team, they clearly didn't spend a whole lot on being a great pass. Yeah, and, and honestly, in 2019, that was just fine. You know, it, was the, it was the greatest running team that ever was. And right. They had the offensive line. And the next year, things started to go south on them with, with the retirement of Yonda, the loss of, of uh, Stanley at midseason. And that, uh, that honestly, both pretty enormous blows in terms of, uh, of reducing the effectiveness. Which of the nobody offense. seems to want to talk about as a relevant factor <laughs> into the, the – the, not the demise, but certainly the decrease in production. And still in 2020, it was still a really good offense. Oh, yeah. It was still scored points. Uh, that was not what that was not like that was a bad offense. But anyway. Fair to say that Greg Roman's still the greatest offensive coordinator in Ravens history. Kubiak I mean, would be the only I mean, other guy. Kubiak would be the only possibility, right? But it was such a brief, you know, 10. I mean, 2014, that offense especially towards the end of the season was really cooking and the way that they were to, to do what they did in new England and not, and unfortunately to not have the defense to be able to gosh, Matt Elam still makes you cringe uh, trying to make a tackle uh, in, in that game to twice have 14 point leads and not hold it was. So that was, that was because, and, that, and why, because it was a real great, fantastic mixture of the pass and the run. They could hit you both ways, big plays, you know, throughout. And they really had defenses on their heels because of that. And I think that Todd Munkin has a good opportunity to bring that some of that back in them from what we've seen. Yeah, I, I hope I hope you're right about that. The other guy would be Don Strock from the very early Ravens days. And it's it's so hard to judge because the defense was so bad at that at that point. It was really hard to, you know, be able to even really unleash the offense. Unbelievable no huddle offense with Vinny Testaverde in that first year. And I, I honestly, and I did wasn't here. I wasn't covering those teams. I was uh, at that point in Missoula, Montana, focused <laughs> on the Grizzlies, and uh, and their and their efforts at one double A football. So it was a little different, um, a little, little different for me at that point. I'm sure. I'm sure that was fun. Did you oh, grow yeah. up in Baltimore, or did you grow up somewhere else? I, yeah, I, uh, Damascus, Damascus, Maryland. Okay, Damascus. So close so, enough, anyway. So you know, running backs involved in the passing offense back in the Burt Jones era is that too early for you, or did you? No, Lydell Mitchell. Um, sure. I had that was my first jersey, twenty six. There you go. So uh, you know, we had my my dad's from Catonsville, and so we had season tickets to the Colts. Okay. And so that was my introduction was from I think first game in nineteen seventy five. Okay, so, and then we had Joe Washington after that, who was loved a, a flanker. Joe yeah, and a, you know, oh goodness, running so quick, number. and Randy McMillan, who could just. The thighs, the, the gosh, his thighs were just titanic, and he would, gosh, he could run you over. So they had some really some some fun running backs. Yeah. 
All right. So uh, I think we talked about about Hill a good amount here, but let's talk about what's a good season for Hill and what's a great season. So I, I told you, you know, how I do my good and great seasons, but just define it as you will and tell me what would be a good season to you. To me, a good season for Justice Hill is being productive on special teams again, making a few big plays and not having the negative plays, not turning the ball over, not, not you, know, you know, just really being res- responsible with some big plays mixed in on special teams. And when he gets the opportunities offensively to take a little more advantage of him, I, I think you know, he's averaging basically five yards a carry mm-hmm. throughout his career. I, so I think that's, you know, you can expect, you would like to see that again. I think it's in the past game where the possibility certainly exists for him to excel more because he has the skill set to be a much more productive member uh, of the pass game. And, and on third down, and maybe you mix it up in some earlier downs as well. And if he stays healthy, and maybe some other guys don't, then you might, I, I think for type to be a great season is going to require JK or Gus through injury to not be themselves. And whether okay. that's dinged up and not, you know, I'm not saying full on, you know, they're after the year kind of thing, but if they get dinged up and, you know, you have to spread, spread out the, spread the wealth a little bit more in terms of, you know, plays. And I think that there's a possibility for, uh, for a much greater, component you could see so could you see you know 450 500 yards rushing that would be great if, if you managed to get to get that at a hill and then add in you know 250 300 yards receiving and give me give me four total touchdowns that would be a great year for justice hill that, that would be a great year I, i'll i have it defined a little differently but not much in terms of a good season i just want him to remind main a plus core special teams play plays on all four units kick return and pick kick and punt both directions and his value there is a lot of why he got re-signed in fact i think there's a chance that he kind of becomes even if he, he almost you can't lose his place entirely as a running back because you got to contribute something other than special teams but he's a chance to become that anthony levine type player uh or uh albert mcclellan who stays with the ravens for an extended period of time being primarily a special teams player so i you know i think He's got that to look forward to. It's a it's a hell of a way to make a living relative to, to some other ways out there, uh, as a lot of these guys find out after they get cut, unfortunately. Um, but I'd like him also as a good season still to offer some value to the offense on a rate basis. I don't think it will be an aggregate basis that he's going to get a lot. I don't even think it's necessary that he's the full-time third running back. I think Mitchell could take that from him. Uh, you know, I, I, he, he certainly has the special teams value and Mitchell doesn't. But on the other hand, if Mitchell's a really effective running back, it's going to be really hard to keep him inactive on Sundays. Correct. Yeah. I mean, that will be, and that, then you're thinking, are they going to have four running backs? Active? Yeah. That doesn't sound like what we've seen in the past. Um, now again, they're also not willing to go against the grain a little bit. If, again, if, if, if justice Hill is a great special teams player and that's all they're going to do. Well, if there's a coach that's going to allow that it's John Harbaugh. Yeah. Right. For 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 his love and respect for special teams, uh, that, that there would be the possibility for that. But again, I think that there is still the possibility through a skill set that he'll could be a bigger contributor offensively. But it would take some other things happening for us to ever see that. I, I'm of the opinion that when you are starting the season with um, people giving you 54th man roster versatility by being cut, it should be pretty clear to everybody in the organization that roster spots are too valuable to give up to people who are just special teams player. You've got to be a special teams player plus the first backup or a special teams player plus somebody who can contribute in some package. 
and and Hill does fit that description right now exactly. I mean, he's, he completely meets it. It's why he got more money than an Anthony Levine would get. Anthony Levine would get a, a two year bonus of four hundred thousand, and uh, Hill is getting a a, a two year bonus to the base of two and a half million. So right. it's a it, you know it's a big difference. No doubt about it. So I mean, I I I, I always like Justice Hill talking to him. He's been a good guy in the community good guy in the locker room. And those are the kind of people you like to see, you know, have a chance to succeed here in town. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll go with a great season. I think I, I mirror on some of the things Monken emphasizes his speed in the new offensive scheme as a receiver. He takes his past blocking up just another notch, a few less mistakes. And he had some of those this year, certainly. Uh, so he can stay on the field on third down. And I would expect a decrease in his rushing yards, pretty much no matter what he was about 265 or something last year. I think that'll come down with Monken. Um, but an increase in total yards. And this is an offense that I see as being more transactional in terms of yardage this year. And what I mean by that is, um, while they were concerned about, you know, yards per play and being effective running the ball, this offense in in the whole Greg Roman era was more about being efficient on a per drive basis. And by the way, that is what's really important, but you give up something in terms of big plays in order to do that. In the end, the points per drive are the most important stat for an offense. There's no no two ways about it. But hopefully Monken can can bring some of that. And and I think it's going to be of a more transactional level that there'll be more big plays. There'll be more opportunities in the past. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Game, as I, I'm sure you'd agree. Well, also, and what it will also be interesting to see because the tempo should be increased. You will be there will be more plays. Um, yes, you know, assuming you can convert, uh, that you're going to, ha- you know, that you're looking at, you know, instead of running, well, of a running the, the play clock down to five and coming out of the huddle, um, you know, I mean, the idea that you you could get up to 60 plays, you know, 50, 60 plays as opposed to 30, 40 sometimes you would see with this Ravens offense. And that, okay, that would be really interesting to see what kind of, you know, how that affects them production as well. Yeah, I, I'll I'll be interested in that as well. And I agree with you with more passes come more incomplete passes, which stop the clock and you're going to you're going to naturally get more plays out of that. So I, I would be uh, uh, completely on board with that. So uh, interesting player, I would agree. You ready to move on to Marlon? Sure. You All got right. it. So he'll turn 27 in July. Uh, incredible Twitter presence. Just very amusing character in terms of that. I'm sure he's a, a ton of fun to be around uh, when you're doing interviews or whatever else it might be. Marlon is incredibly funny and smart and engaging when he chooses to be. <laughs> and I say that there are times, you know, and that we see him where he definitely does not choose to be funny and engaging and thoughtful 
and fun. And that's just, it's the way, you know, he's almost, it's funny because what you only, if you only watched his Twitter feed, you, you would have no idea. There's almost some mercurial nature to him as well. And he, it, Ed Reed was more, you just let it out there more about it. Marlon's more protective of that, but it's there. And, but I also think it's almost some of the, you, you almost have to have some of that to, to be great. And so that's, I, I don't, I don't view that as a negative and I see, Oh, that's a day Marlon's like that today. Okay. We don't need to talk to him. That's fine. He's not good. It's like, Ed, if, if Ed had the head, had the hoodie up, he don't, you're not talking to Ed, you know, that's how he, he made it much more clear. Uh, you have to maybe dig a little more to find out what, what it's like with Marlon. But I mean, he, when he chooses to engage, I mean, he is as interesting a guy to talk to and as fun a guy to talk to as there is in that locker room. And he, he's very smart. And I think his, his post-football career in whatever direction it goes is going to be great as well. So I think he has a lot of greatness just period in him. That is very cool to hear. Definitely. Uh, last year, basically put up another year. That's not too much different from a lot of his career. He's, he has different ways to be great on a year by year basis, but a 74.5 passer rating against, and that's despite having a fair amount of chase work. And yes, I mean, Jamar chase, but also chasing the other team's good receiver. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but zero TDs allowed in 2022 with three interceptions. That's obviously fantastic. We did not see the forced fumble production, but it was at a historic level with eight. He's had one each of the last two years. Still uses those baseball bat arms after the catch and at the catch point. Not quite as much at the catch point this last year with only four, uh, seven passes uh, mm-hmm. defensed with three of them. a career low. Career low. And that's a career low. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, he had in 2020, he had the eight uh, forced fumbles, which again, it's just a preposterous number. Mm-hmm. And the other five years combined, it's five. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. I mean, that was, that goes to the great, look, fumbles are very random. You can, how many times you see a guy make a great play, come in and punch a ball and it stays there. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes almost seemingly no contact forces a fumble. There's so much randomness and just kind of luck to it and then of course it's a 50 50 proposition of recovery so you know the so when we take a talk about turnovers they do they do come in bunches but it's not seem to be related to a whole lot of maybe because you did something better or worse it's just the way the ball bounced that day um but i i we do know for sure that when marlin takes his swings um that's hard on they it's such a conscious thing in receivers minds because they've seen the highlights, they know if they don't lock up the ball really, really well, there's a good chance he could knock it out. And if you're locking up the ball really, really well, you're not quite as loose, fluid, and free when it terms when it comes to total speed. So that's an advantage just before the snap that Marlon has on a lot of guys, and because they know that that's coming. Now, just to that point there about locking the ball up tightly, it actually makes it easier to knock the ball off a lot, a lot of the time when that is. You have to be a little bit loose. And what I would say is, if you don't believe me, work with your son or daughter, whoever it might be, and and tell her to or, or, or you, close your fist tight on a tennis ball or a baseball and see if you can hold it away from her prying away your fingers. You are much more able to hold on to that ball if you hold it a little bit loose. And uh, it's it's something we learned in a, in a management training program a few years <laughs> back. But it's 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 actually hilarious that this was this was working. And then I went to a wedding where it actually came into play. We they they, they it was a Jane wedding, 
actually Jane and Jewish wedding, a really kind of an oddball couple, but but uh, they had some game where you where you had to hold onto a ball, and it was some test of wills between the spouse and the uh, between the two spouses of who was going to be able to get this thing. And you know, I was trying to advise my 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 friend about how to hold the ball against the, not too tight. Like, <laughs> not too <laughs> tight. That's uh, that is funny. But all you hear from coaches, high and tight. There you go. Three three points of pressure. Do not let up. So I, I just think that you know that that's just kind of a built-in though mental advantage that that Marlon has on guys. What's again what makes also him so great is his ability to match up with a number one on the outside, to match up on a smaller, quicker wide receiver on the inside, to. Just, I mean, to be anywhere on the field, to just be a hybrid, he's a great tackler. He's not afraid of the contact on that. Um, he, he's a good blitzer. And so the, all that comes together that just make he's, – he's such a total, complete cornerback. And you think about guys that are taken in, in the first round, mid-first round like he was, and how many times it just doesn't happen like that for him. And he is – when you're – he is – outperformed his draft position I think significantly and that's a bold statement considering what was he 17th overall back in 2017 mm -hmm. yeah, it was a great it was it was a great pick and remember the Ravens didn't need a corner at the time why do we need a corner they, yeah they want everyone wanted OJ Howard right that was the uh the, the how do you I, wrong Bama guy was, yeah uh you you mentioned the two things but McDonald really has effectively used him as a blitzer uh, and this is one of the ways if Marlon is doing a little bit less than some of her turnover capacity, in this case, it was forced fumbles, uh, you know, maybe allowing a couple more long plays, missing some key drives, particularly against Miami. But he did have three sacks and he only rushed the quarterback 10 times the whole year. And that's a so good percentage. They, yeah, it's a good percentage. And, and PFF scores him for three other pressures for what it's worth as well. So uh, six for 10, I'll, I'll take that batting average. Uh, missed tackle rate, a career best 7.5%. You hit on that. That has consistently improved over his career. Something I very much like to see. A lot of that, by the way, with him is not just about his physicality, his arms and locking up. It's, it's being in position to make the tackle better. And really love to see that at him. I also love to see that he holds his teammates accountable after a play. Uh, he and Peters both will go after with emoting at the other player who has made a bad play. And I, I think you need to have that accountability. And it's one thing I really look for on this defense now is, is body language after the play telling me who messed up what. And, you know, it's and one of the things, too, anyway, we saw a lot of that accountability being pointed to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and certainly early in the season uh, before they seem to figure things out on the back end a little bit more. And which also, I think, speaks to you had you've got Marcus Williams who was a new safety back there. And then you had some injuries and actually, you know, Jalen Armour Davis is a rookie out there uh, get, getting stuck out there playing. And yeah, Kyle Hamilton is a rookie. I think so. I think a big part of the, the key for Marlon too, is developing chemistry with all of these guys. And now he's got another year to work with Marcus Williams, which I think is key. Another year with Brandon Stevens under his belt, another year with Kyle Hamilton, all these different guys on the back end that, because it's not just the guy next to you. I mean, it's that whole, that whole secondary weaves together. It's got to be very accordion like and working. If you're going the wrong way, it makes a bad noise. You got to definitely want to be flowing together on that. My grandfather played the accordion. <laughs> I was just guessing it, from this. <laughs> I didn't have thought memories to be honest of that, to be, to be fair, but uh, it was, yeah, to but because I know, I know what a bad, I know what a bad accordion sounds like. So you don't no, want that. 
what here's what I want to know. Why does the accordion get so much hate relative to say bagpipes? Bagpipes are the enemy to music lovers everywhere. Like the accordion, I can live with it with okay accordion music. I think that because the accordion's harder to march with. <laughs> right, bagpipes are cooler in the bagpipes are cooler in the kilt uh, if you're if you're doing a parade. <laughs> All right. So uh definitely one of the Ravens' most important players to keep healthy. Uh, their only real star cornerback at this point, Rocky Asin, a, a, you know, a physical corner who is not much in terms of ball skills. And I, unfortunately, that's going to that may be a real shortcoming at on the outside corners this year. At slot, they've got Hamilton. He he has some good ball skills and some ability to uh, yes. be a vulture with the ball of the air. I've I've loved seeing that and and get some tips and and do other things that could help the defense underneath. Yeah, it's interesting group. And then you you know, you got Caillou Blue Kelly who. You know, you you go back and look at the, the tape for of his you know Stanford work, and it's just there's I'm like okay, I'm a little surprised at how late he was. I know some of the measurables weren't what what maybe you want, but he's a football player. He's got the pedigree, and I like that. I like that a lot. And you know, I talked to him a couple OTAs ago, and it's just this he's just got it all together, you know, and uh, the, the not just the smarts, but the right attitude with the smarts and. Uh, that's that's exciting to see what he might bring. And I think Jalen Armour Davis, who really, you know, had played some early and then basically got benched late. You had that year to learn. And again, rookie year is just for so many because you go from the end of your season, prep for the combine, draft, then you're at rookie camp. You, you're just some players just never quite make that. It's almost like he hit the wall in training camp. <laughs> You know, and then got forced to play early, but because you've just been going for so long, the rookie wall didn't come in October or November; it came in August, I think. So it'd be, now, all right, now you had a time to recover, to process it all, to see what he might be able now to do, uh, having a, a year under his belt and understanding it, in a position that takes so much time to really understand the nuance, how to play it properly. I mean, gosh, it just skill and physical tools just aren't enough. You just really need to understand so much about reading. You're oh yeah, re- reading the guy in front of you, reading your teammate. That all, there's just so much that goes into it at that position, and why corner, why good corners are so damn hard to find. And so I think there's a real chance for him to take a step forward. And he has someone like Marlon from which to learn. And I think it's also it's not it's not a bad thing that he's a Bama guy too. You talk about going under your wing, no doubt about it. Good good possibility there. Let me let me address the corner position a little bit because obviously we're talking about Marlon, but the Ravens' depth at corner is one of the really big questions about this team to me. Rocky Sin, I mean, look, he's available and maybe he'll be okay. And that's probably all the Ravens can really realistically hope for is a slightly above average corner uh, there. They don't have any backup right now that's obvious at slot corner. Uh, I don't think Stevens is going back there. I don't think that... Um, Pepe is necessarily the guy. Obviously, it didn't really work out in Pepe's rookie year the way they would have liked. Now, again, a guy you're not going to give up on, but Ardarius Washington now has been two years out of school, and while he was a high-value UDFA, I don't think the Ravens are probably going to be able to keep him entering year three with the limited future value that they have under control. And then they've got a whole bunch of other guys they've got to work through in terms of outside corner talent with Trayvon Mullen, and Worley, who they made 18 transactions for, or whatever it was last year. And, uh, you know, Seymour will be around potentially for special teams, might be a slot guy, might be an outside guy. They have Kelly, of course. Brandon Stevens was a guy I thought was going to stay on the outside. I thought it made more sense. But uh, uh, apparently that's not happening. 
Can I take one quick break? My daughter just came home. Sure. I need to answer a question for her. Sure. Maybe I'll be right back. Yes. You're not going to go. Are you sure? Okay. Because I was going to take you. I was. I was ready. I was going to be. I was going to be there for you. I don't mind doing it though. If you want to go. Okay. I'm doing a podcast. Sorry. I'm back to the bye. Thank you. <laughs> Same with regard with regard to Brandon Stevens and the possibility of him moving or staying at outside corner, where he had some success at the very end of the year. You know, very grabby early in the year, a lot of penalties. End of the year, he kind of cleaned a lot of that up. Looked like he played pretty well in the Atlanta game and in the next to last game of the year, but before Cincinnati. Try to remember who that it was against at this point, but had played some good football. And mm-hmm. now he's moving back to safety. A little bit unexpected from my perspective. Yeah, because he, again, he had had reps at corner, successful ones. And there yeah. just aren't a whole lot of guys, like you said, that have had that. Uh, Kyle Hamilton in the slot, he may be your slot corner again, yeah. which he almost essentially was from, from last year. When they were at their best, he was. Um, and I think clearly as, as a hybrid at the very least, uh, he's going to get some opportunities there. Um, if he's there all the time, that would be a little surprising, but um, I, yeah, Pepe year two, certainly again, he's got some ball. He, he's good. I think with the ball in the air, he's, he's not afraid to go attack it. He's exactly no fear about his game, which you do love, um, but he is undersized and he's not brilliantly fast to be able to make necessarily make up for that, but he is pretty fearless. And again, you get that, I just love rookies when they get the second year under him. You get the real offseason. He had no surgeries coming back, and you get a full-year condition because he's actually going to probably put on five to ten pounds of muscle uh, that from the, the kid he was coming out of Houston. So I'm, I'm a little more bullish on this group than I think a lot of guys because it's clearly it's not a lot of – there's not much proven back there beyond more than at all. There really isn't. But watching them grow and trusting kind of Mike McDonald – a little bit and 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 also to be able to maybe mask so learn as he's learning how to mask maybe some of their deficiencies and as the pass rush i think will be better mm-hmm. uh giving them an opportunity that no corners any better when they got a great pass rush yeah, there you go and so that i think the possibility for that is is pretty darn high as well so i i think that this this group is going to be better the the backups the guys that you came in last year and were kind of eh I think are all going to be better this year. And I think that that gives them a real chance to then have a successful secondary. Oh, let's go. Let's circle back to Marlon Humphrey for a second and talk about what a good season is. And I'll give you my good. And then you do great and great. So what's your okay. good season for Marlon? Yeah, a good season for Marlon. Uh, number one, staying healthy, which all but one year he has. And uh, durability is a big part of him. So I think you can, you feel like you want to pencil that in, but gosh, if they didn't, it would be terrifying. Mm-hmm. So number one, um, just to be a good season, he's got to have that and would like to see, you know, build on the INTs when they come his way. You've had a few go off the hands occasionally too, and go ahead and take better opportunity, you know, advantage of the opportunities when they come to turn the ball over. Um, but about what he did, I mean, last year, three picks was a career high. Um, didn't have the, the fumble, you know, one fumble recovery. So four turnovers would like to see, that number, I mean, that would be good again. You'd like to see maybe a little more, but that's right about there would make for good. And, I mean, if, if the standard is to not give up any touchdowns, would be good. Okay, <laughs> that, that would be good again. Uh, probably could allow for one or two would be 
still keep you at, at a good year, you know, and, and a great year is when you are, when other offensive coordinators are forced to truly game plan around you. Mm-hmm. When they say that we, he's, we can't let him be a part of it. We can't let him beat us. And because he has grown more versatile in terms of his ability to blitz as a playmaker, in terms of his ability to tackle, and and we know in the force fumbles, whether in the run game, to just come up and be supportive in that, to well as well as the you know, the ability to go and knock the ball out. I think that there, there's a real there's a real potential there for that's where the greatness would be when you get back to eight would be forced fumbles is probably not likely. <laughs> But, you know, if we get four or five to go with four or five picks, that would be a great year. That would be that that all pro, you know, CB1 level um, that, that he is capable of. Sure, sure. I, I'll, I'll go I'll just say that as a good year. I say his aggregate effectiveness is at the same level as 22. And I'm not going to I'm not going to dictate how that has to come. If it's more turnovers, that's fine. If it's better tackling, that's fine. If it's some pass rush, that's fine. If it's just being a lockdown corner again and getting more passes defense, that's fine. But I think if his aggregate level of effectiveness does not drop uh, from last season, I think that would be a good season. That's generally true for somebody who's made four straight Pro Bowls, is if their aggregate effectiveness doesn't drop, you're going to be pretty happy with that. A great season, I think he's going to bring together multiple wow factors. And you spoke to a lot of this, but forced fumbles, more passes defense, another year of pass rush presence, lockdown follow coverage where he's, where he's following the other team's uh, a top receiver. I actually really prefer to play specific positions because I think cornerbacks often like to play a certain shoulder and whatnot. But I know also that the Ravens could potentially be very um, weak if other teams try and manage the slot against them. And so they probably will not try to do that. No, I, yeah, he's, he has the capability to move anywhere it feels like on the field and be, and be productive, but definitely the right outside, it just, you, you just know how good and effective he is. And if you get that same rep over and over and over again, you just know he's going to lock it down. You, you feel really good about that. And, you know, I mean, what has also been key throughout throughout his, you know, what now, six years playing is that he's been humbled. He's been the humbler. He, he truly has the foundational base. He knows what greatness is. He understands it. And he understands what it takes to be great. And all that combined into this package right now, again, still at a pretty young player, uh, that sets you up, I think, for for a fantastic uh, for a fantastic campaign. Yeah, Humphrey is signed through twenty six, I believe. Now I've got to look at his contract again here. Yeah, he signed through two thousand twenty six. Twenty six. Now, in truth, the the option to cut him would come after the twenty four season. So. At the at the bare minimum, and I don't think he's going to be cut then. I hope he plays out the whole contract. I hope he gets extended, honestly, given the way he's playing right now. But uh, if if the Ravens are into a position where they have to save money somewhere to take care of Lamar's bulging cap number as that grows and has to be restructured and, and pushed down the road even more, um, then they might they might need to consider moving on from a Humphrey. Moving on from a Stanley is definitely a possibility as well in terms of cornerstone contracts. But he's at least with the Ravens for the next two years. We should enjoy him uh, as, as long as he's here and as, certainly as long as he's great. And I would say at this point, he's pretty much a shoe in for the Ravens ring of honor. Where are you on that? Uh, on this current trajectory, yes. Okay. Um, you know, if you stopped it right now, I'm not sure, maybe. Um I mean, I guess, you know, as considering he was first team all pro, mm-hmm. number of Pro Bowls. Four. 
probably probably there. I mean, if Todd Heap is going to be there, and I, but again, I think it also goes to what kind of player were you in the community? Were you a face of the franchise? Were you a fan favorite? And he's all those things. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's that which I know that goes in. That's part of the you know the the compilation and part of the calculus to figure out who is to be a part of that. Um, it's not just numbers. It's not just stats. And he's been more than that. So yeah, I would lean, I would lean. Yes. You know, another year or two at, at this current rate and it's a thousand percent. Yeah. The, the, uh, the most comparable player probably in Ravens history in terms of a guy who was around for a similar period of time. And this would be, if he only was with the Ravens, these next couple of years would be Chris McAllister. McAllister had at least one all pro year and he had what three pro bowls, I think during his time, but he had some other things which were not Correct. as as, uh, as positive in terms of that. That that game, at, missing that game at San Diego, never been able to get a straight answer for why that occurred. Never been able to get a straight answer. It's in 2003. It's been a long time ago. I don't know why, you know, Ozzie Newsom would not be willing to answer a question on this, you know, this, uh, this far off the thing. You but, know, I, it's, I think at this point, it's protection for Chris. Yeah. It's just protecting him at this point and just like we're just going to keep that one in house yeah um fair enough. but what I, I i was talking with uh tory smith recently and we actually mentioned i met at the uh 2005 called a chris's crib every monday would go and do the do a five o'clock and six o'clock uh tv hit from his from his apartment mm-hmm. and you know and it was at that time, he just, he wasn't the most reliable for it. He wasn't oh, always really? there when he was supposed to be there. He wasn't always, you know, and, you know, Chris really, he really enjoyed being a young NFL player and, and all that could come with that. Now uh, he's finally, towards like, he is fully, he's got it back together. Mm-hmm. Um, really got it all together. And it's just been really good to hear. Again, one of those guys, you, you spend 10 minutes with him and he's, very interesting, thoughtful, smart guy to go along with this great physical talent. And he had some real struggles there for a while, but he seems to have, uh, Tori was saying he's figured a lot of things out. So that's good. That mean, which means again, he'll be a good part of this franchise going forward, uh, which, which is better for, which is great for everybody. All right, Pete, outstanding having you on talking about these two players. Uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm very fortunate again that we, uh, Keith Mills and myself will be back on the TV side late night Sundays uh, doing Ravens wrap up again this year. And it is the favorite thing I get to do in TV. Uh, We get a half hour show that we get to do with what we want. We show a ton of highlights. Uh, We do our breakout segments, you know, key plays, why, what, why it was a key, why it went wrong. Um, And lots of post-game sound. And we just get to to mold it and play with it however we want. And Keith is my favorite person with which to do that. Uh, So we do that late night Sunday night on WBAL-TV after Sunday night football, after 11 news. Look, if you have to DVR it, that's fine. Uh, But but go (laughs) ahead uh, and join us for that. I won't let my bosses hear that. They don't need to know I said that. But it's okay. And uh, also, I'm sure uh, they'll listen to the commercials even though it's on DVR. (laughs) Oh, well, that's a great point. Uh, And please, on on Twitter, WBAL-Pete and uh, come on board and always enjoy talking Ravens. And uh, certainly at this point, Orioles too. Yeah, boy, what a run for the Orioles, huh? I, I, I don't know if I can still get excited about what's going on, but I am thrilled that the franchise is back to being very similar to what I grew up with, which is always dominating the walk category. It's to me, it's the leading indicator of hitting statistics. And you, you mentioned on our, I think in a production meeting, the gunner 
is swinging at a few more pitches to, to turn things around. Well, that, I mean, that's true. And he's certainly hitting a long ball because of it, but those walks, they're going to come back for Grunner because he has a good eye and pitches oh, are absolutely. starting to be careful against him. You know, what? what's the biggest thing and what I love the most about Adley Rutschman is the number of pitches he sees. Mm-hmm. Nobody sees more. Literally, he's, he's the best at seeing pitches in Major League Baseball. And that just does so much. Every Because, first of all, every pitch then is another layer of knowledge in his own brain of a, of a Major League pitch that he has seen. It just tires pitches at, pitchers out. It frustrates pitchers. It has them leave games early. Through and it's contagious. Guys are doing it more. When you watch this team losing a hundred games a year, they they would they saw the fewest pitches. It was it was awful. They're swinging at the worst things. They're for guy would walk someone on four pitches and they come out swinging at the first pitch next guy. Those just facts the dumbest are, guy. are not unrelated. They, they no. are not and unrelated. So Gunner and Adley are very similar in their eye for the ball and a willingness to take you know to to take it. Gunner had gone too far. He was not then. He was not swinging at enough pitches that were in the strike zone and that now he's he's increased that and uh, reaping the rewards for the AL player of the week the, the Orioles of my youth from 68 to 84 85 had 18 consecutive winning seasons most of that under Weaver but a little bit Alta Belly mixed in there as well and all 18 of those seasons they had good teams in a number of different ways but they outwalked their opponents every single year and by an average of 123 per year as a team that's three quarters of a walk per game and I, I, they just ground down opposing pitching staffs during that era. It was great fun to watch baseball that way. It's, oh, it's so much fun to have it back. And you went to World Series in 66, 69, 70, 71, 79, and 83 because of that uh, just relentless pursuit to doing it the right way. You know, they just all bought it. I had a chance to play in Ken Singleton's uh, charity golf tournament recently. And just, it's who had a better eye than Kenny, right? He was a big part of oh, that. That's great. Just, so good at that and just and he but he just whenever he tells the stories he just talks about we were all held accountable to one another about look you're going to play baseball the right way you're not going to play it here and that meant something and it was real and when that is the true belief in the clubhouse uh, then greatness is possible all right outstanding folks i appreciate you uh doing your plugs there i also want to make a plug for the show here if you want to do a film study short hit me up with a dm on twitter i'll be Always interested to hear from you. Always looking for shows to put up uh, for the sixth and seventh show per week in particular. So if you have an idea you want to talk about, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. I'll get back to you very quickly. Pete, thanks again for coming on. Great conversation. My pleasure. Thanks, Ken. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.